Revolting is a production of the Cycling Independent, with the support of listeners like you, and this month, the support also of the master bike builders at Seven Cycles. TCI is a community-supported, community-focused site dedicated to the whole of cycling. The Cycling Independent, we say, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. You are listening to Revolting with Steve Lynn Robot on the Cycling Independent, Episode 88, Dogs Should Live Forever. Content warning, you won't like this. Unless you do. It gets pretty mature, and by that we mean immature. So go away, or stay. Uh, but uh, don't let us tell you what to do. Take responsibility for your own decisions. Uh, this is the Revolting Podcast. Uh, I'm Steve Bellingham's... Uh, anti-influencer and i'm robot uh a human person seeking to uh divorce himself from human emotion and failing Mm -hmm. uh it's not gonna happen if you have a nervous system and you're not a sociopath you're gonna you're gonna have the feelings um so what what brings us up is that uh uh we're having well we we're having a hard time coming up with a topic this week uh robots beloved albeit smelly and toothy knucklehead django passed away on sunday night and um uh you know i can't i can't i'm not even going to read the introduction that robot wrote because uh, uh i too have lost animals that are not just they're not just animals they're not just pets I don't consider, I've never considered my animals, my children, air quotes, uh, handsome Andrew Kemp's wife said to me a a few years ago when she found out that my cat had died, she said, it wasn't like, you know, I felt bad for you, but it was like you lost your sibling. It was like a a shadow. It was like a counterpart and got me thinking about like, what's a soulmate? What does that mean? Um, it could be somebody who changes your life uh indelibly and it could be an animal and it could be a person and it could be a romantic counterpart it could be a a a rival it could be an enemy uh you know but in this instance like uh this was robots dog and um it is the sort of thing i don't think i've ever experienced i've experienced a lot of pain and a lot of ache but i don't think i've ever experienced a pain and an ache quite like losing an animal it's it's spectacular and uh and affirming and one thing that someone said to me after uh, my ex and i put our one of our cats down uh they emailed me and i don't remember who this was and it just it stuck with me so deeply it uh they said the pain that you feel is inversely proportional to the love that you felt and i don't think a day goes by that i don't think about that particular phrasing it's beautiful and true and excruciating and i'm really sorry for your and your family's loss it's so it's so rough yeah yeah i'm having a hard time uh i don't want to do any work probably the work that i am doing isn't very good um there's a there's definitely a hole in my day you know it starts from like eyes open uh most days i'd be like what's django doing right now and the answer would probably be probably be licking himself right outside the bedroom door yeah um and then just my convert, like I talk to him all day, my conversation, I walk out the bedroom and I go, hey, buddy, you want some food or do you want to go outside? Uh, and Django was really good, like with charades, you would say something and then he would signal which thing was true. 
Uh, like, oh, you want to go outside? Wag the tail. Do you want food? No wag. All right, we're going outside. Then he's outside. I say, you want to go inside? You know, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's like having a, it's like having, uh, I mean, they really are a sort of appendage. Um, and things look different when you lose, when you lose a partner like that. Like, colors aren't as vibrant. The sun doesn't shine quite as brightly. It is a hole. And it's an injury, you know? Like, that was the thing I, I kept reminding myself of. It was um, with my split uh, for my ex-wife. And, and uh, the you know, having lost pets. Like, a uh, broken heart is, is an injury. And um, I'll take physical pain all day long. Like, I don't... I don't care about that. That's easy for me to navigate. Emotional pain is a whole different animal. And, and it, you know, like there are days where it's, it's okay, man. You know, if you had a, if you had a broken leg, uh, I would say stay in bed and nurse that shit. You have a broken heart, stay in bed and nurse that shit. You can't rush. You can't rush healing. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of pendulum swinging between grief and gratitude, you know, like I got to hang out like, you know, going in, you're going to, uh, uh, you know, if the, if if things go as they go, you're going to outlive your friend. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, just to your whole thing, people say, oh, I'm a dog owner or a dog parent or a what or this or that. And I just think like that's my friend who lived with me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I owned him. Uh, I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, he owned me more than I owned him. Uh, but so, yeah, I'm swinging back and forth between grief and like just gratitude that I got to spend the time with him that I did. When we got him, he was uh, an abuse <laughs> neglect rescue. So it it was pretty clear that someone uh, who met him before us uh, had kicked him. He was super reactive to. Um, being, you know, to, to yelling, he didn't like tall people, tall men with beards. Um, so I don't think you got to do too much CSI to figure out what was going on with him. But the, the, the thing that was fucking amazing about him is that he still was like, but I'll trust you and I'll be very sweet and loving. Like he was able to, he was able to parse the difference between bad people and good people. Mm hmm. He didn't let whatever happened to him, whatever that trauma was, he didn't let it uh, destroy his ability to have a relationship with us. Now, obviously, we never kicked or hit him or, you know, we took good care of him. And he then, you know, he was just a fucking hilarious. He had jokes every day. He had good jokes. Um. Definitely a contributor to robot family dinner and the hilarity there there at. And uh, so I'm part of me is grateful. Like I knew that I would outlive him. So part of me is just grateful that he was a great friend. Hilarious. Good to spend time with. Like I was thinking about this. He's a buddy. He's a buddy who lived with us. You know what I mean? Like they're like they're perfect housemates. They're perfect family members. I don't know. There's something about there's something about a relationship with an animal. Like when you really click with an animal, I would argue that the relationships I've had with animals, uh, dogs and cats, I don't buy the whole, I'm a dog person. I'm a cat person. I fucking yep. love animals. It's just cats are easier for me to manage. Like my lifestyle sort of, uh, lends to a relationships with cats. Cause cats don't give a shit about anything. You know, a dog's like, right. You gotta be a little bit more attentive. Uh, same reason I don't have kids. Uh, I'd forget them somewhere. Um, and you know, cats, if you forget them somewhere, they're cool with it. Um, (laughs) but it is, it is this being that you share your space with that you have, I, I don't know. It's like an unspoken bond with it's so badass. Um, 
and uh, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a little sad that there are people who just, uh, I don't know. It's like an animal is an accessory or something to them. You know, it's, it's like, it's just something, it's just like, a, it's, uh, it's just something that like, it's just somebody in the household. You don't have a, a real like emotional connection with them. Um, a case in point, like after kind of the COVID restrictions lifted, uh, shelters were inundated with animals that people got just to occupy their times while they or occupy their time while they were on lockdown, you know, and there's still shelters are still dealing with that, um, you know, two and a half years down the road. Uh, there's still an abundance of animals that have been aban- abandoned. Uh, what's the term? Have been um, surrendered. Surrendered. Yeah, because now people have stuff to do with their time. Um, so, I you know it's just it's just in fact I pity them. Um, but yeah, I mean that relation that relationship is it's indescribable. It's intangible. It's beautiful, and I I appreciate the fact that you were saying like like how lucky you all were to have gotten across paths with you with him when you did you know, for as long as you did. But, um, uh, it's, it's a, there's really nothing like it. And, um, I wish everybody could be so fortunate. It makes me wonder. Um, I mean, to me, it's a perfect relationship because we don't speak, uh, you know, words get, words make shit complicated. Human relationships are pretty complicated and you can't speak to your dog. And I, uh, uh, or your 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 cat or your whoever your fuzzy friend is. And I spent so much time like wondering what was on his mind and sort of like just wishing sometimes, especially after he got sick, just wishing he could tell us what he was feeling or going through. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think the silence of it um, is part of what makes it fucking amazing. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's heavy shit. I mean, maybe, maybe if he could get, share his thoughts, he he would just be saying all the vapid shit that I say to my human friends, and I'd be like, "Oh, Django's not an all time baller. He's just a <laughs> dickhead like the rest of us," which is likely true. But because he was quiet, you know, because he was quiet, to me, he's an all time dude. Yeah. He just, you know, like cancer got him in the end. But like, did he complain about it? No. Yeah, you know, animals suffer. They're stoic. Their stoicism is enviable. Um, I I don't know if you and I have talked about this. Uh, years ago, I got I had an appointment. I had a phone conversation with this woman named Karen A. Anderson, and this is going to make oh yes everybody roll their eyes super fucking hard. But that she's an animal medium. Um, sh- she was a cop. And she had, she wrote this book called The Amazing Afterlife of Animals. And I, um, I didn't read it until after Buddy died, but I did have one phone conversation with her before he died. And it was, there was a lot of interesting things that she said. I was just mostly interested in what his life was like before we met each other. Um, and she said, I, you know, I have a harder time communicating with animals when they're alive. But then we had another appointment with her after he died. And the stuff that she said, uh, you know, it could be argued that it's like reading into you read a fortune cookie and you and you apply whatever that or uh, or a, um, your uh, horoscope and you can apply those little crumbs to whatever is happening in your life. But the stuff that she was saying, like uh, she named uh, two, the only two grandparents I knew she she had their first names. Um, and there was all these images. She described my studio. She didn't know anything about me. And again, the skeptics will say, oh, well, she just Googled a bunch of shit and then fed you lines. But there was stuff that she couldn't she couldn't have known. Uh, she mentioned my skin cancer before I knew I had skin cancer. Uh, according to her, Buddy told me to get this shit checked out. And I did. And it was cancerous. She described my studio. She described the way that I operate in my studio. She's and she gets these little images and will feed this stuff back to me. And I've seen him. I know this also sounds fucking crazy, 
But one morning my ex and I were doing yoga and I, I like jumped and she jumped at the same time. And I was like, fucking buddy just walked between us. And she, and like, she just went like kind of pale. I was like, I, I totally saw that. I've seen him in Bellingham. It's, you know, I think, I think because they're gone doesn't mean that they're gone. I'm, I know that you believe like once you're dead, you just turn to dirt. But I don't think that's the case. And I feel like the exchanges that I had with this woman and the experiences that I've had in the interim proves to me. And maybe again, maybe this is just something uh, this is just something I need to feel or I need to understand or I need to think in order to survive in the wake of the loss. But I think there's something to it. And like I told you, like, it's an interesting book to read when you're ready it's short and it's an, it was an interesting conversation for me to have when I was ready and it gave me some kind of hope. I don't know. Maybe that's all we, yeah. any of us need. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I need. I don't know what I need. Uh, I've been walking around in this fog. Uh, part of me, you know, like I lost a dog before this and that broke my heart and that was terrible. And there were years that passed before we went and met Django. Uh, and he decided to move in with us. Um, and, and part of me is like, that's such a good thing for my brain and my heart to have the dog buddy mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. That how could I not? I, I, I felt I feel trapped between like, I can't do this heartbreak again. And how can I not have this thing in my life? Isn't that weird? When we put when we put one of our cats down, I was ready to give buddy up. Like I could there was no way I could contend with that. I mean, it was going to be so much in my mind. It was going to be so much worse that I would rather just like let him go and, and, ha and not, and not w worry about it. Like I was, I was, I was at my wits end. I was way out of sorts. And that seemed like a reasonable response. You know, like you fall in love with an animal and your heart's so broken that you're willing to, to give them to somebody else just so you never have to experience that again. Um, and what a fucking, uh, what a loss that would have been, you know, if I had gone through with that. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, is there's something about the human condition where it, we understand, uh, you know, Hurl from Cars or Coffins and I have had this conversation um, a number of times. Uh, if you touch a hot stove, you know not to do that again. You get your heart broken and yet, Somewhere down the road, you're going to put yourself in the same position to do it all over again. I'm some, some people, I guess it could be argued that some people don't do that. And they're like, well, fuck once was enough. I don't ever want to commit to anybody, be it two legged or four legged again. It's just too much for my nervous system and it's too much for my heart and it's too much for my head. Um, but I, I don't know. It's indescribable. It's really indescribable having a, having a relationship like that with an animal as much as it hurts to let him go. Holy shit. All this stuff in the interim is the best. It's totally affirming. And we we keep getting sucked back into this. It's quite a thing to be loved. You know what I mean? I think, I think, yeah. uh, you don't stop. You know, like Django needed to be loved when we met him. He needed some love. Yeah. Um, and he was definitely, he was definitely looking for somebody who would take care of him. And, you know, we were in the same position. <laughs> we were looking for, we needed some love and we needed someone to take care of us. And it worked out. And, um, you know, knowing what I know about, um, shelter dogs and rescue dogs, they're there. The supply is limitless. So is it, I'm heartbroken because I lost my buddy, but is it, it would be, it feels sort of crazy not to go 
not to just do it again because like it would be selfish of me to just let this heartbreak be yeah. a reason not to try yeah. not to try again of course but that's it that's how you're built i i mean i would always recommend or or not recommend i would always note for anybody experiencing this I couldn't go back and I personally, I couldn't go back and, um, and, uh, just immediately like jump back in the pool. You know what I mean? Like I need to let this simmer and, and, uh, kind of develop and grow and heal. And I'm not going to like, I don't want to have a hole. You have a hole in your heart. I have a hole in my heart. I don't want to fill that hole with somebody else right now like it's gonna happen right. but um i'm just gonna you know it feels good to me to just kind of let it sit and let and sit in that in that quiet and sit in that ache and sit in that loss and kind of let yourself recover and then have a new relationship with a new animal somewhere along the line that happens as organically as the last one did like that feels right to yeah, me personally I'm, not, I'm i'm definitely not thinking about uh heading to the shelter today tomorrow or the next day i'm in no way ready and it wouldn't be fair to it wouldn't be fair to uh whatever uh dog that we met um no matter what their need is like i'm not that's and i don't i need time to get over django and mm -hmm. just to be thinking about him and you know laughing and crying and doing all that stuff yeah i feel you um, it's a real brain breaker <laughs> sure is and anybody who's listening who's experienced it knows exactly what we're talking about um so you know with that said today's episode is wholly dedicated to the big toothy knucklehead that <laughs> was and continues to be Django. Um, uh, you want to get into it and uh, figure out, I mean, we're kind of like the topic of the questions are kind of like we're already getting involved in the meat of the matter anyway. Um, yeah, I would like to tell a couple Django stories very quickly and then we can end on would you rather and then music picks we'll just screw it around we'll just go nuts okay i mean question two is is also pretty pretty relevant as well yeah so yeah sure uh go go bananas so at our at our house um so django didn't speak because he was a dog or he didn't speak english but he we did we did have a voice for him and most people in the house would ask Django a question and then answer in the voice. And Django was like a muddy brown pit bull mix with a bad underbite. So one of his teeth was sort of sticking out all the time. And people would say to me, like, I think your dog, I think your dog doesn't like me. And, and I would be like, no, he's just ugly. <laughs> uh, he loves you actually. <laughs> But he's just ugly. And we had a backstory for him. He we rescued him. He came from Arkansas. And the backstory we had for him is that he was born in a dumpster behind a pizza hut in Arkansas. And so people would say, oh, uh, what kind of dog is he? And we would say dumpster. Um, <laughs> and that, that was a good litmus test for whether a person had a sense of humor or not. Yeah, I can uh, I can dig that. One, could they deal with a pitbull looking dog with who looked like it might be baring its teeth at you and second could they take on board that the breed uh was dumpster but he would say um very funny things like he was very afraid when there was a, a thunderstorm yeah and uh he would say you know thunder kills one million dogs annually don't let it happen to you. So he would say that. Um, 
And then he had uh, our our neighbors have a dog, Gracie, who was his girlfriend. And he would say, guys, I love Gracie so much. Her butthole smells like meat. <laughs> I always pictured him as having an English accent, if I'm honest. Oh. Yeah. Not so high pitched and little, uh, little mud mouth. Mud mouth yep. English accent. That's what I imagine. I don't. Sounding like. I don't know why that that sort of high pitch became his voice, but everyone kind of agreed immediately. <laughs> like I, we have friends who know him who do the Django voice. <laughs> everyone, because it so didn't look like the voice that would come out of his uh, mouth. Right. Um. <laughs> God, that dog was hilarious. He would also do this thing like if we got burritos, he'd be like, oh, we got burritos for dinner. That's great. Oh, looks like you have a burrito and mom has a burrito. Oh, there. It looks like we're short. What? Oh, oh, OK. I see. <laughs> Just continually disappointed that we didn't get takeout for him. I feel like he did towards the end, though. I feel like he was treated. Pretty. Well. Yeah, in his final month, I made food for him every, well, I cook, I would cook chicken and chicken and rice and stuff for him. Yeah, he was eating better than, than I do. <laughs> Likely. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. He was the snuggliest dog ever, too, like, every night. After dinner, he'd he'd have his little like after dinner treat or whatever he was gonna have, and then he would come and lay on the couch with us and like just bury his head in my neck. What a dude! What a fucking absolute dude! Yeah. Uh, nothing you can do or say. Like nope. it's just it's uh you know. Like we've talked about, the first question covers all of the things that we've talked about. Um, so we basically have, like, the pre-music pick banter is the thing that it, tur it turned into the episode. The second question, though, is uh, how do you get over a loss like this? And um, you don't. Uh, it, it becomes manageable. But... I don't think you ever do, you know, you have experienced a full range of, uh, existence, highs and lows and everything in between with this being and to have them no longer be a part like that. Just, uh, if you're a, a normal feeling human being, like that's going to be some shit that'll change you forever. And you, it becomes manageable. I think my mom's has told me a number of times, you know, it doesn't hurt any less. It just hurts less often. Um, it, it, they, they are an inex, inextricable uh, piece of your being. And uh, like I said before, it's like losing an appendage. You've lost, you've lost a piece of yourself. How can you, how can you get over that? You'll get on. It's not going to hurt as bad as it does right now. And it's not going to be this, this numb, constant fucking ache every day from the time that you fall asleep to the time that you fall asleep again. But it's, it just becomes manageable. And when you think about them, you'll be able to feel um, not buried in quicksand. And you might yeah. even somewhere down the road, you're going to, you're going to be able to feel good and make cracks and, you know, so, I mean, you, you, you know how it is at my house, you know how my family is. So we're already telling jokes, mm -hmm. you know, like Django shows up in dog heaven and he sees Eddie, our dog from Borges is like this fucking asshole. How many times did I have to hear what a good boy Eddie was? So, yeah, I think I'm probably smile more about it as time goes on. Sure. Um, That's healing. 
I mean, I don't yeah. want to put like a, I'm not putting a fine point on this or saying like, oh, it's just this easy because it's fucking, it's not. Yeah. But the, the, and that's, that's always, that's just the, that's the analogy that I had to sort of create for myself in order to survive the, my various life's losses is that you can't rush a, an, an injury to heal. And this is no different than a physical injury of which we, uh, anybody who hears this is well familiar with. It's a sprain, it's a break, it's a fracture. Uh, I've broken ribs, toes, um, pulled muscles, um, uh, tore my ACL and my MCL, and that's just been in the last four months. I would take that shit all day long over heartache because it's it's unavoidable um there's nothing nothing you can say to make it speed up there's nothing you can do to make it speed up there's nothing i can say to make it better it's a it's a motherfucker and it's constant yeah yeah i think that there's the piece of it also like i lost my dad a couple years ago and then i lost my brother I don't know, six or eight months after my dad. And it was a really, that was a really heavy time. And I still obviously think about them all the time, but human relationships are complicated. And I think the thing in a human relationship is that oftentimes the other person is taking more than they need. You know, there's a seesaw to it. Maybe you take more than you need sometimes, but there's a seesaw to it. Um, you know, my relationship with my brother was pretty complicated. He often took way more than he needed. Uh, but the thing with the, with Django is he never took more than he needed. He's like, oh, I have all that I need. He was just satisfied. All the time, just satisfied. Doesn't need to deceive you. Doesn't need... Uh, doesn't need to impose himself just like you're going to put the food down for him and you're going to snuggle him a little. He's great. He's great. He He's all set. He kind of had nowhere to go, but up too. you know? Yeah. Like based on what you've explained of his previous existence, like he won the fucking jackpot with you guys. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think we did him right. Um, I think we we took care of him and he took care of us. Uh, we were only ever going to take care of him. So um, I was, I'm glad that we could do it. And he was such a sweet guy. It was a pleasure to do it, you know? Yeah. And he wasn't greedy at all. He wasn't like, oh, this is nice. Give me more. He was just like, oh, this is nice. You guys are fucking perfect. You guys are perfect. You couldn't, you couldn't be better. <laughs> yeah. That's another, that's another aspect, aspect of having like a really, uh, like a heart connection with an animal is that you, the base, the sun kind of rises and sets on you, you know, uh, when it's raining, uh, and they want to go outside and play and it's raining. That's your fault. You're the God of their domain, you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> Uh, you're the one that gives them all the pleasure and any, any dismay they might be experiencing that that's your responsibility. And certainly when they're sick, uh, you have this, you have this almost, uh, parental need to try to make it better or try to explain to them, you know, but you can't. And that's an, that's a, an additional complication in, um, having an animal who is in duress you're doing, you're turning yourself inside out to make it better or to try to communicate that what, what's happening, you know? And again, like I said, they're very, animals are very stoic. I think they suffer differently than people do. It's far more graceful, I'd say. Yeah. The, the day before he went, he had a really good day and we had like some friends over to, um, cookout and like he ate some potato chips which is hilarious to watch a dog eat potato chips and uh he was just wagging his tail and he was pretty good you know 
And uh, then overnight, he just fell apart completely. And, um, you know, the vet was like, there's nothing. You've done chemo with him. You've done all of this other stuff. His cancer isn't stopping. It's not slowing down. It seems to be speeding up. There's just like, if he can't eat and drink, which is where he got to that last day, like there's nowhere to go. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. And the thing is, so we make this horrible decision because he's okay. Now he can't hold down liquid or solid or anything, right? He's no longer viable. Uh, so we make this terrible decision that I've been in denial about for the last six weeks. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to there. We have this nice room where you can go in and spend some time with him before you say goodbye. And uh, so we go in the room and then they open the door and here comes Django and he sees us and he's wagging his tail. Because he's glad to see us. Of course. Of course. You're his, you're his people. You're his counterparts. I know. Um, there's something really brilliant about... Like, I didn't like... Buddy got sick real quick. Uh, also, like I took him into the vet because he wasn't eating and that vet had the terrible fucking stupid bedside manner was like, I think you should probably t- say your goodbyes. I was like, whoa, no, no, that's not the conversation I was planning on having. And from that point, I had a couple of maybe a day and um, I was going to do it at home. Um, it was this whole ritualistic thing. I had dug the hole in the backyard the day before and um my vet was gone so i had to like frantically track these other people down to come and they came but he died before they could like handle it and you know like i'm holding him like i've been i've been with this guy since the since day one and um i've had a lot of conversations about like what it what it means to be an animal steward you're you're sheltering them you're socializing them you're playing with them you're feeding them you're doing all of these things but then comes the time to like say yes thankfully buddy died on his own you know it was going to happen one way or another that morning uh Vinny, uh, when we took him in we uh we had a, a tech come in and they were like do you want to you know we need your consent to put him down and i was just like what the fuck like I didn't, I never thought about this. I never thought that like, I'm going to have to be the one to, to make this acknowledgement to, to engage in this relationship or this part of the relationship. Um, in hindsight, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I was there for, I was there with you for you from the beginning. And I was there with you and for you at the end. Um, I put bed, but I put buddy in his bed. He spent the first night after he died, like in his bed, because I've got this whole thing about like spirit assimilation, uh, spirit attachment. Um, uh, uh, my ex felt very compelled to go back to the room where where Vinny had been put down the following morning. And we went back there and sat um, because she has this idea that the spirit attaches itself. He's lost. He's in this foreign place. So he attached himself to us and we took him home. Um, and Buddy was like, nope. I'm going to, you're going to be in bed and I'm going to, you're going to fucking watch over us and you're going to have some familiar surroundings. And then I'm going to put you in the hole. And I wrapped him up in one of my favorite shirts and put a bunch of flowers. And, uh, you know, like I wouldn't have missed that for anything. It was the hardest shit I've ever, some of the hardest shit I've ever dealt with, but that seemed incredibly important to me as important as feeding him and playing with him and you know all of the fun stuff this is the hard part this is this is a decision that you as a steward have to make um and i understand some people are like nope take him to the vet i can't deal with that get him cremated put him in a box like i needed to be a part of the whole fucking process sucked yeah, but I need I, I needed it for me. I think I think you know, I was in denial about it. As soon as his cancer sort of tipped over, I was like, 
I know where this is going. I've done it before and it hurts so bad. Mm-hmm. And so I've been dreading it this whole time. But what, you know, but also you have to be there. 100%. Dude, I dreaded My it. My wife. When we moved into the house that we moved into, I was like, this is where Buddy's going to die. Like I'd fucking 10 years, 11 years before it happened. Like, I, yeah. t- you know, talk about dreading or carrying that weight. Like, holy shit. What a fucking mess I am. Yeah, my last dog Eddie w- lived to be fourteen, and the uh, I think the day he turned thirteen, I was like, "Oh fuck!" Like, there's not a lot of road left, and I spent a mm-hmm. whole the whole next year just like, uh, like ang with anxiety about it in the background all the time. So, Django, I didn't. Django was only nine, and I didn't carry it that long, but I had it. It's always and on that last always going to happen. It's inevitable. It's always going to happen. Inevitable. Yeah. On that last day, my wife called, she eventually called the vet, uh, because I just, she's brave and I'm not, I don't know. In the moment, I, it was like the merciful thing to do. He was in such a bad place. It was the good, right and merciful thing to do. And I just sat there like trying to fix him with magical thinking like, oh no, he's going to be able to hold down water this next time. Even though like every 10 minutes he's throwing up and god damn i think animals are really perceptive and they can pick up on you know like you're trying to you're trying to think good thoughts and you're trying to think positive stuff and they're imagining pictures in your head like i feel like that was it's kind of an important thing because he's he's picking up on your energy i'm people are the same way you're trying to you're trying to not be scared and not be sad so that you can like put on a brave face for them, uh, which, you know, doesn't really work because you're in, you're a shambles as well. It's, uh, it's just, it's, it's so huge. It's so hard to put into words. It's, it's the coolest, most beautiful and saddest, most indescribable thing relationship experience emotional palette uh i know of um and yeah you know and i love i really love talking with you about this i i got to see the adolescents the other night my friend brad uh, is playing bass for them i guess since steve soto died um and he uh i've gone and stayed at his and his wife's house in Huntington Beach. His wife is a really brilliant painter named Kristen Farrell, who I've been friends with for a long time. And, um, and they have this whole menagerie of total fucking goofball animals at their house. And, uh, when I was there last time, uh, Brad was on tour in the UK and he's got this fuzzy, they have like four totally insane chihuahuas, maybe three. Um, and then, uh, then, and then Brad's got Sluggo and Sluggo's a 18 year old grave Maine Coon. And uh, so I took a bunch of pictures of me like snuggling with Sluggo and uh, it's like texting him and like, yeah, your cat likes me better than you. Uh, and all the shit. But we talked about that when they came and played recently, we talked about that and he's like, it's going to break me, dude. This is going to be, this is the relationship to, 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 to beat all relationships. I don't know how I'm going to manage this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like he's the, he's in the same position that you and I were just talking about being in the position where you're, you're dreading the inevitable. It's this constant weight and your analogy of like, there's not a whole lot of road left. Like that is, that describes it perfectly. And I like having, I like having this conversation because it, it is in some, it's somehow sort of affirming and this is you know you and i are in an entirely different uh position in relate in relation to uh our own process of loss but talking about this now and it's this is a position that i hope that you're going to eventually be in in time is that you talk about this loss with like a little glow in you and you, it's not this loss. It's not this hole. It's not a thing that makes you like immediately well up. Um, but you think about it, uh, 
maybe pragmatically is the word where it's like, man, this thing that changed my life. And, and you know, that loss intimately, and maybe somewhere down the road, somebody else is going to be having the same experience. And you can say, yeah, man, um, uh, it gets better. Eventually you can, you can offer your insights in the wealth of, uh, your experience to somebody else who's struggling with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So also I would like to note that now this is the second episode that we've done, uh, where I've cried, uh, you are at zero. Uh, I've, uh, I've cried twice. Not that I've noticed anyway. I'm fighting pretty hard. I have done a bunch of sobbing over the last couple days. And I'm not real good at crying because um, I don't do it enough. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm waiting for the cry that is like, <clears throat> okay, good, there, I solved it. Um, but I feel like every time I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's almost like throwing up. Like it comes on me all of a sudden and then I'm crying and then it's over and I'm like, but there's more to come. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I get the, I get a notion that as men in this society, like I've done more crying, like inconsolable crying in the last three and a half years than I've uh, I've ever done in my life. It's like a bloodletting, you know, and I feel like I'm making up for lost time. I think it's really good for you. It's a, like an exorcism. Uh, and if you cry more. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crying that I haven't done. And so when it happens, like, fuck yeah, I'll take it. I feel so much better afterwards, but no, as men, we can, we're not supposed to. I know that feeling of relief and I really want it. So I I hope that it's coming, but you know, I got the nickname robot from my brother, uh, and it was both because I would ride all all through the winter, and when people said, "Don't you feel cold?" my brother would say, "Robots don't feel cold." Wait, what? What but, were you? What were you riding during the winter? You know, a bi- a bicycle. Oh, there it is. <laughs> There's your content, everyone. You can go home. Uh so it was also this thing about like, oh, I was tough, but it's, it was also a sideways swipe that I was cold myself. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You're built how you're built. You're wired how you're wired. You're yeah. working on kind of chipping some of that. Not chipping it away, but like kind of rewiring it a little bit, you know? Like, well, I think so. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, th- I think guys should cry. I'm not like, I'm not of the what i'm not of the old school i'm not trying to be 70s dad and you know it it almost doesn't even fucking matter because your dog dies and your kid goes off to school or you know your brother fucking gets pancreatic cancer and dies in a little one room apartment behind the fucking steakhouse or you know like tragic shit just happens and fucks you up and like you don't have a lot of choices Mm-hmm. Um, and it wears you down and it makes you think like the value of being tough is what? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, so, I mean, I always want to change. I always want to be changed by the world. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to like decide who and what I am and hold on to that forever. I'm, I want to find out where I'm wrong, what I'm wrong about. Uh, I want to be softer and kinder. I just, you know, I want to be better and I want to stay open to being better. And even if I didn't have that attitude, I feel it feels to me like, well, that's just what the world is going to do to you anyway. I mean, our relationship is part of it, too. You know, I met you. You were fucking broken. And instead of being like, all right, well. That sounds terrible. Good luck, dude. Uh, we just stayed in touch and became friends. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, and now, you know, here we are 
and we needed to record an episode and I couldn't come up with anything that was funny. And I was like, you know what, though? I think actually I just want to talk to Steve about my dog. So. That's okay. It's good. It's not a, it's not a funny topic and we don't have to always be funny. You know, we can be. We can be this. Mm. It's easier. I mean, it's there's like entertainment value and like the shenanigans and the anecdotes and the nonsense. But um, uh, it's okay to sometimes uh, be reflective too. You know, just not too much. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I definitely still believe if you're not laughing, you're crying. And I don't want to be. Cr- I don't mind crying, but I don't need to be crying all the time. Yeah. I got to remember Gracie's butthole smells like meat and thunder kills a million dogs a year. You just, uh, uh you just cry, cry, cries as is necessary. But, yeah. um, yeah, there's a, there's value in that too. All uh, right. So let's, let's, uh, let's take 30 seconds to hype our sponsors, uh, because we do appreciate them. And then we'll come back, we'll do the Would You Rather and the music picks, and then we'll peace out. I. This month, we're sponsored by our good friends at Seven Cycles, who have been in the vanguard of American custom frame building for more than a quarter century. I worked there for most of a decade, and I learned things I didn't even know I needed to learn. When you work with Seven on a bike, you get real input into the design They offer more tube set options than any other builder. They offer more ways to customize your bike. The process is deep, but it's also fun. The result is a bike you're going to love riding for a lifetime. We've secured a few places in their busy build queue for revolting listeners, which means you can get a fully custom dream bike from Seven in just three weeks from the time you submit your measurements. This is the fastest route to the very best bike you're going to find. In addition, they're doing this cool thing called the Centennial Build, where the designer, bike builder, welder, and finisher combined will have 100 years of bike building experience. So it's sort of underlining the the depth and the experience in every bike. So check it out at 7cycles.com slash TCI. All right. And we're back. We're back. Uh... Music picks. Well, we're putting it at the end this week, just like we talked about last week, because people don't listen to any of the in-between stuff. They just <laughs> listen to the, they eat the candy and, or they, what, no, I can't even come up with a good analogy. So you, you, they, they listen, they get the music picks and then they bounce. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? This week I ha- am picking the Venus Twins and I'm picking the Venus Twins. I haven't been listening to them very long. They are opening for Whores on Whores upcoming uh European tour. If you want so if you want a good steady source for music picks, cr- follow Christian Lembach uh, who is the lead singer of Horn- Whores. Follow him on Instagram because pretty much any band he likes and says is worth li- your time is good and worth your time. So Venus twins are, you're going to love this. They are identical twins. They play. So it's a two piece identical twins. Love two one pieces. plays drums and one plays bass. And they sound like a cross between lightning bolt Early Big Black, uh, maybe a dash of um, No Means No. They're just like, and I've been listening to them this week. It's fucking loud, chaotic music, and it makes me feel better. Like I've been real sad, and I just have been leaning into the chaos and Venus twins fucking bring it. And I wish that I could see them on this tour because I bet it's going to be a face melter. Where are they from? Uh, they, they're either from Texas or New York. I think maybe they're from Texas, but they moved to New York. Mm. Okay. And it's uh, one of those deals, they look pretty young, and I'm like, how can you be making music this rad when you're this young? How 
You're only saying that because we're fucking old. But the that you is know, correct. Bands that were making music that was that rad when we were that young, we're like, yeah, these are just the people. These are just our peers. That's you correct. Um, You're correct. Godhead Silo and Death from Above are two other uh, musical groups who have bass and drums, but shouldn't be mistaken for bass and drums. That's uh, right. And they're fucking great. Godhead Silo, I don't know what happened to those guys, but man, they were, they brought the ruckus, uh, you know, big bank of effects pedals and they were really into BMX. Uh, they, they used to like bring BMX bikes on tour with them and they were like part of a freestyle team in Fargo, North Dakota or something like that before they started playing music. Huh. Oh, uh, bicycles. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I love the, I love the combination. We talk all the time about, uh, two piece, uh, Juna, uh, from Chicago also drum, no guitar and drums, but she's guitar got that big weird keyboard thing that she plays with her feet, which is cool as shit. Uh, all right. Venus twins. Um, I'm going to go back 20 years almost to the, no, no, that's not right. I don't actually remember when this came out, but 2006, fuck, I don't know. It's the second Bronx album, Bronx 2. Um, and if you don't know the Bronx, they are a, I don't know, punk rock, hard rock, punk rock group from LA. Uh, they've been doing what they do for a long time. They have a side project uh, where they play mariachi music and they play it exceedingly well. Um, but the Bronx is fucking great. And I've been listening to them a lot. And my friend Susie just sent me notification that the Bronx is going to be here at the end of August. They're going to be in Bellingham, but they have a show in Seattle and they have a show in Vancouver. And just like it used to be, they stop by this little burg. The band will stop by this little burg. And the place they're playing is smaller than I've ever seen them play in any place before. And I just, I'm beside myself. Uh, it's a great fucking record. I saw them last year on a bill that made very little sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but they fucking rule. They rule. And the they're so good. Actually, anytime I'm on my mountain bike and I'm doing something even remotely rad, the, the song Knife Man comes into my mind. I want to be... Well, how's, how's that go? I want to be... Out here on the boulevard. Oh, 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 right. I can't be terrible at remembering uh, song titles or album names. So when it's I like... I love that song so much that I took the time to remember its name. Which you know, they're, says going, a lot. they're going to Australia right now, right now, soon after maybe, maybe after they play West Coast. I can't remember, which is interesting because the, the first time I saw them, they were going to Australia the next day again back then. Um, and they're bringing 68 and a band mm -hmm. called Civic with them. Yeah. So my Australian friends are very excited. And I Kiwi, love Civic. Kiwi I love friends. 68. Yeah, that's going to be a, you know, shows like that don't happen here. They just happen on the other side of the planet. Holy shit. Yeah. There was one time I saw, was it, it was the Dirt Bombs, Rocket from the Crypt, and the Bronx. Or was it Rocket from the Crypt, the Bronx, and the Refused? I think that's what it was. And it was like, you know, of course I wasn't there, but... <laughs> Holy shit. Like you want to talk about getting your fucking punk rock dance on. And I don't wow. like, I don't like, I haven't been in a pit. I don't go into pits anymore. I like hang out on the side and dance and stuff. But like, uh, the, the first time I saw the Bronx, it was, it was as much like an old show. Like it was in one of my favorite venues in San Francisco. And it was like, everybody was fucking dancing. And, and I was like, yep, fuck it. Like, Time to do a big front flip off the stage, even though I'm like a grown ass man. Oh, it's God. And I don't care. I'll go out on, I'll go out riding that high for the rest of my life. Like that show was, it was a perfect punk rock show. 
people were falling down. Other people were picking them up. Somebody loses their glasses. They make a hole in the pit. Oh, great. I'm really fucking excited. Uh, sadly, um, I just found out that you're going to be in Portland. You're going to be leaving Portland on the 26th. Uh, is that correct. right? That's correct. Yeah, you and I are going to, we're ships in a night on this one because I'm staying in Bellingham to see the show and hauling ass to Portland the morning of the 26th because that's when King has their thing that I'm doing for them. Yeah, I was looking forward to um, doing that thing with you, but uh, that's all right. That's all right. I will, uh, I will fart warm the chair in the King booth for you. <laughs> Such a bummer, but you're you're taking uh, kiddo to or he's already done college orientation, so you got to scoot from Portland to go to to go home and do college things. Yeah, with Owen. Correct? Speaking of fucking sobbing tears, I, I like I don't know how I'm going to leave this kid at college. Let's not even talk about this right now. I, yeah, no, it'll be fine. Once you get home and, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I've never really liked that guy very much anyway. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we, we don't even need to get to that. But the the maid show, which is sort of like a bike, you know, a, 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 oh, cus a custom bike. Oh, we're... Uh, <laughs> it's a custom bicycle show that's happening sort of a la NABs. Uh, I don't like calling custom bicycles hand-built bicycles because all bicycles are hand-built by somebody. I feel like that's, uh, it's not accurate. Um, so this is a custom bicycle show with a lot of your favorite builders. And uh, I did a bunch of illustrations for King Precision Component for a, sort of like a, I don't know, it's a how-to, how-to um operate and manage and clean and what are the what's the word uh service service uh how to service your hubs and i'm not a technical drafts person by any stretch and they gave me the job anyway and uh if i do say so i think there was nine illustrations and all and if i do say so uh, i'm not i'm not good with anatomy and i'm not good with technical illustrations and so with that in mind, I completely fucked up nine drawings for King. And I think they're turning it into some kind of a poster or something. And we'll, we I have be... seen it. I have seen the poster and uh, oh, no it kidding. is lovely. I have not seen it. Yeah. Cool. I was trying to uh, influence the, t so there's a title on the poster, which is something pretty practical. Maybe it's not even decided yet. I sent a list of suggestions and one of them was how to make sweet love to your Chris King hub. Hmm. I don't think they're going to take that one. They no. often don't take my, <laughs> I wrote, they, we didn't, uh, so I do, I do marketing consulting for, for King and they, they wanted, they were like, let's do an April 1st, like an April fool's day press release this year. And I wrote one about, um, fuck. I don't even actually remember what it was about, but I sent it over to them and they all read it and they were like, this is so fucking out there. Like, what are you even talking about? So, but th I think that's how they receive a lot of my input. Anyway. As long uh, as you keep getting the check. That's all that matters. That's right. All right. Would you rather. This one's for Django. Would you rather lick a spoonful of peanut butter out of a dog's mouth once a week? Or have all your meals come in the form of small, crunchy, meat flavored pellets? Uh, Forever. Yeah, this is from now on. So once a week from now on, you got to lick peanut butter out of a dog's mouth. Or all your meals come in the form of small, crunchy, meat-flavored yeah, pellets. And if you've good. ever eaten dog food, you'll know that actually the meat taste isn't overwhelming. It's A lot of times it's a grainier taste. Yeah. It's unpleasant any way you slice it. I'm not... You remember Snossages? Yep. Yeah, that was the first dog food I ever ate. And I was like six. I didn't like it then, and whatever. The last time I ate dog food was probably within the last few years. I didn't like it either time or any time in between. Uh, we one time got dog ice cream. This is uh, in the 90s. I was, I was out with my roommates uh, at the grocery store because only one of us had a car, so we would all do our grocery shopping together, and my roommate Dave was like, oh, they have doggy paws. And I was like, what's doggy paws? He's like, oh, it's dog ice cream. 
I was like, well, let's get it and try it. So we and they're like these little cups, right, with a lid. Uh, so you would just take the lid off and put it on the floor for the dog. So we all got it. We got spoons and it was like meat grain flavored ice cream. Mm. I did not finish mine. I, you know, when you started talking about that, I was I was thinking like blended hot dogs in an ice cream cup, like frozen in an ice cream cup. And I, I like, I don't know if you saw, but I, I like, you did had a little, a, had a physical like recoil at the idea of frozen hot dog ice cream. Uh, the, the ice cream that you described is not any better. I, I guess I, I'm going to, I like eating food. Um, and, uh, I guess if the dog's not going to bite me and I mean, it's really gross. It you're is really, really gross. You're getting deep because dog snouts are long, you know, so you got to, you like, you're using the reach of your tongue to get back into the back of their throat to get the last little scraps of peanut butter out. But I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm, uh, you know, PETA is listening to this and they're like, okay, flag that knucklehead for bestiality. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go with peanut butter out of a dog's mouth. Neither of these is good at all. I don't like this at all, but I'm going to go with peanut butter out of the dog's mouth. I, I, well, it's disappointing. I am going to do that also because it's just once a week. (laughs) I can tell you that, um, uh, so at the end of Django's life, he took a lot of pills and that required a lot of peanut butter. Yeah. And there's always, even though he was very sick, I got a real good laugh almost every time because he would get the peanut butter in his mouth as quick as he could, but then he like couldn't process it all quickly enough. So then he's just like making these like ridiculous mouth like he's just like mouth wrestling uh with this stuff (sighs) oh buddy yeah uh well let's uh we're gonna both make out with dogs that's a great visual to leave people with um yeah thanks for listening to revolting uh i hope we didn't make you too sad uh give us three dollars a month by subscribing to the cycling independent you're only going to spend that money on something dumb like flaming Cheetos or crypto anyway. So on behalf of the Cycling Independent, you're both on Steve. I'm right back.